This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Travel is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. I'm Joanna Patterson. I'm the head of business development at FlixBus. And what I love about travel is that it breaks you out of your everyday life in a way that's really refreshing. There's an openness that's necessary for travel, an openness to new cuisines, languages, people, experiences. And I think that that's something that all of us can use a little more of in our lives. This is Travel Is Your Business, covering the intersection of technology and business in the travel industry. Joanna, welcome to the show. We're so happy to have you here in the studio. Thanks for taking the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Mark Rako. I'm the producer of Travel Is Your Business, and I'm sitting in for uh, Best Chapman. I know how obvious that seems. And also with me is Anthony DeRico, who's sitting in for John Matson. Yes. Um, Much uh, better looking. <laughs> than me or than John? Cool. Yes. Got it. Okay. <laughs> now that we've yes. started on that foot, um, great to have you here, Anthony. Thank, thanks for taking time to join us. Joanna, mm-hmm. why does Flixbus need to exist? What is the problem that it's solving that we're like, whew, good thing Flixbus is here? I think the problem that it's solving is the the bus industry has been along around time, but it hasn't innovated at the the pace of other industries. And this is a show that talks about technology. And I don't think that a lot of the big players have sort of brought technology to the bus industry that's really making it better for consumers in the way that we'd sort of hope. And so what Flixbus does is we use technology to take a super fragmented industry and make it better so that there are more routes that people actually want and there are better pickup points and we allow sort of more people to get places. You can't be the first ones to have noticed this issue. So what is it that you Flixbus did differently that made it possible for you to be the main player if you are the main player? Yeah, well, we're, we're certainly the main player in Europe, and we, we hope to be the main player here. And I think the idea was we see an opportunity, and we started with the de- deregulation in the German bus market. So there was a sort of specific point that started things back in, in 2013 in Germany. So I don't think that other tech-focused companies were, for whatever reason, focused on the bus industry. We had the sort of existing bus players, and they were continuing to innovate and add things, we took a completely different lens and said, okay, with all of the changes that are happening in technology, with performance marketing, with all of the data that we can crunch to make sure that we're optimizing schedules, we think that we can do a better job at the technology side of things. But at the same time, we recognize that we're not going to be the best people to operate buses because there are so many different companies out there who have been operating buses for decades and for generations. So we think if we do a better job with the technology and we truly partner with people who we know know we're good at buses, we can, as a sort of combined and in aggregate, do a better job serving customers. So before Anthony jumps in here, just mm-hmm. help us out, uh, unpack a little bit more about actually what you guys are accomplishing. How does it manifest itself in a way that we see and experience? As a, as a customer or in the industry? Sure. What's the customer experiencing and, and what problems is it actually solving for 
uh, bus owners or bus line owners? Yeah. So I'll answer that in operators, in two ways. So if you're a customer, it's a better experience because it's you. It's super easy to book on our app. It's sort of like a few different clicks and you can track your bus and you get a push notification if your bus is running late. The stations that we're picking up at are convenient for you. We often have multiple stops across the city. Uh, when the bus shows up, it, it's clean. It looks good. There's enough leg room. You can stream onboard entertainment. The Wi-Fi works. There's a plug. Uh, just simple things like that that you don't always expect from all of your intercity bus providers. And so it's just executing on a lot of simple things well and consistently. And from a bus owner perspective, the partners that we often have are typically charter bus operators. And the charter business can be very seasonal. Uh, and that's difficult because you're getting a ton of money in the in the summer and not that much money in the winter. And it also is challenging because one of the, the biggest challenges for bus owners right now is uh, retaining drivers. And when you're offering folks, say, a split shift if they're driving a school bus or you're only offering folks work for six months in the year, it's hard to keep people. So what we say is, you know, continue to do your charter work, but take a few buses, take two, five buses and sign up and partner with us to do a line run. And it offers you a different stream of revenue that's going to be less seasonal. And it offer also allows you to enter the line run business, which normally you wouldn't be able to because the sort of barriers are too high in terms of setting up your own marketing and selling tickets and doing those things that you don't have the capabilities to do right now as a charter company. Are you essentially, in many cases, supplementing the municipal bus service that exists? No, or? we're doing city to city. Yeah. And Flixbus is mm -hmm. new to the U.S. market. Fairly correct. Fairly new, yes. Yeah. We launched our first buses at the end of May last year. Um, and so we're, we're running in California, Arizona, Nevada for a few months. And then just this past week, launched in Texas, uh, Louisiana, and Mississippi. That's great. So. But predominantly European company. Yes. So so what are some of the, the data points that you've been able to pull from your experience working in a continent like Europe and apply them to the U.S.? Or is that is that difficult to do? What do you mean by data points? I mean, just in terms of like how users are using your service and then applying it to the U.S. market or from from any uh, standpoint, like it could just be like how they're using the service to even just interacting with, uh, you know, your app, website, mm -hmm. uh, booking tickets. It could be. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a stab at that. So one thing we've noticed about the U.S. market is no surprise here, more app usage which is fantastic for us because we want folks to to use our app because we think it's easy to use. Um, and then once folks sort of use the app, they'll, they'll go back to the app and won't compare. Uh, another difference is uh, folks don't use buses to travel between cities as much as we see in Europe. And so over 60% of our riders on the West Coast hadn't used a bus before for, for inner city travel. And so uh, it's a little different here versus Europe where – um, here, we're trying to convince people who are used to, often cases, driving uh, to take a bus for the first time. So so some differences in that regard. But overall, the, the model has translated well, which has been good. Yeah, I mean, so what's, so like, what's the game changer for you? Is it just having like a great mobile experience because people just think buses is just an antiquated industry and you're just creating like this great customer service opportunity? Um, is it cost? Is it both? I think it's all of those things. I don't think it's one specific thing. I think it's everything mixed together. For customers, it's we want to have a great mobile experience and we want to provide them with the best experience so that they, one, try riding a bus if they haven't done that before, and two, come back and tell their friends about it. 
but then on the sort of back end of things, it's how are we using all the data at our disposal to optimize pricing, to optimize the network and figure out exactly what times people want to go where and how that varies based on if it's commuters or students. And then finally, you mentioned cost. Because we focus on sort of what we are good at, which is the technology side of things and the customer experience side of things, and we partner with bus operators who are good at running buses, it allows us to, to keep our costs down because we're both doing what we're good at and focusing on that. How are you choosing the routes that you're choosing? So we have a, a, a huge network planning team that's based out of Los Angeles, uh, and they look at things like Google search demand. Uh, and what is exciting about that is New York, D.C. and New York, Boston are by far the highest demand relations in uh, the U.S. No surprise there. Uh, and so they look at because Amtrak's terrible, <laughs> and no one owns cars. <laughs> you can't afford to to own a right. car in these cities. Tons of students, um, and people aren't even getting their driver's licenses. But so they look at that. They look at what competitors are offering. They look at the sort of profiles of people in the city. So I mentioned like students, commuters, things like that. Uh, and then they use that to come up with the this is the ideal schedule and the amount of departures we have on Friday versus Tuesday and when we need to go direct from one city to the other versus when it makes sense for us to make stops in between. So a lot of, a lot of science goes into that. Yeah, I, I mean, you mentioned something. I, I want to touch upon something that mm -hmm. you had mentioned. Is a lot of people aren't getting their driver's license. Mm -hmm. you know, who is your core demographic audience? Is it millennials? Is that who you're seeing the biggest bump from in terms of usage of buses these days? We certainly skew towards like younger people, millennials. Uh, we tend to have pickups at college campuses. So in LA, we have pickups at USC and UCLA. The idea is that it should be accessible to everyone. Uh, so my, my grandpa lives in Toronto, and I keep uh, putting pressure on us to add the Toronto-New York line because he is uh, turning 95 next, next month and can't drive anymore. So I want to make sure people like him can really easily use the app and take the bus and feel really safe and comfortable and have a good experience. Experience, but if you look at the the cross section of customers we have, it it skews a little bit younger um, because of the the technology. Yeah, piece. and you mentioned customer service, and mm -hmm. like on your website, customer service is a big focus. Yeah, can you talk a little bit more about the customer service aspect of it? Is it is it because people just have this stigma of like you know Port Authority and taking the bus, and it's just <laughs> terrible experience, and you can make it bright and clean and wonderful. Yeah, and I, I think people uh, certainly don't have a, a high bar coming into the, the bus industry. And I, it was funny. So uh, I my background and what I focused on um, before coming to Flixbus was customer experience. And I was really, really skeptical joining Flixbus because, you know, we don't employ the drivers. Our partners employ the drivers. So I figured how can you possibly control for and create a good customer experience when you don't have that much control? Um, and First and foremost, our NPS scores are really high. We have like a 33%, which was just completely mind-blowing to me. Uh, but I think it's the combination of on our end making sure that we have like great technology and we're proactively communicating with people when the the bus is late and we're making it really easy to get questions resolved and we have like we manage our lost and found well and it's simple things like that. But I think more importantly, the the physical touch point with the customers is the drivers. So more importantly, it's making sure that we're partnering with people who share our view and who know their drivers and who we can count on to provide a good customer experience. And so it's really about finding those good partners and making sure that we have those good relationships and training the drivers to make sure that they are providing customers with a good experience. Coming up, you'll hear how Flixbus is positioning itself as a problem solver and not just a travel partner. 
entrepreneurista. A woman who organizes and operates a business, taking on greater than normal financial risks in order to do so. One who has a drive, passion, and vision with an undying determination to succeed. She is fiercely motivated, ambitious, and competitive, forging her own path to independence and success. That's an entrepreneurista. Through the conversations on the Entrepreneurista podcast, we want to celebrate failures, reflect on successes, and get unfiltered about what it takes to be your own boss. This is the Entrepreneurista podcast, presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have, with must-hear real-life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done, and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram, with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Check out all our latest episodes at entrepreneurstapodcast.com. Keep up with the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Our episodes are available on iTunes and Google Play and online at travelisyourbusiness.com. Plus, there are a lot more great shows on Mouth Media Network. Take a trip to mouthmedianetwork.com to enjoy them all. And remember, we love fan mail. Drop us a note to say hi, suggest a guest, or if you'd like to become a sponsor on the show, email us at travelbizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Flixbus is not just an OTA, an online travel agent, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's actually a hand-in-hand partner yeah. in the success of these bus operator companies. Yes. Um can you unpack that a little bit more and also touch on not all of these operators are built the same. Some are more advanced technologically. Some are more built out infrastructure-wise. How are you able to work with them to both help them be the most successful as a partner mm-hmm. and make sure that what they're doing and the consumer experience that the rider has reflects properly back on your brand? Okay. So, so two questions there. Yes. <laughs> Well, I think you. I think they can be connected. Which is, how do you work as a partner mm-hmm. um, in, in ensuring not just your own success, but the success of the operators that you're partnering with? Yeah. So I think the the way that we see it as a partnership. I, I mean, the first piece is like financially, we sort of have our incentives lined up in a, we're going to share revenue. We look at it as we're both going to focus on what we're really good at, and then we're going to share in both the risk and the upside. And so we have a sense of what our strengths are, having done this for uh, for a number of years. Um, but as we come up with our schedules and come up with our stops, uh, it's also something that we we talk to our partners about and we want to make sure that as they sign up to run lines with us, it's schedules that they're going to be successful on and that makes sense to them. And if that means adding stops to to reduce deadhead in places where we see demand, that we want that to be a conversation. So it always – everything that we decide with our partners, we want to feel like it's a sort of a true what's going to be best for both of us. And then, as I said, we we share in the upside together. And so it's not just we're going to pay you a, a flat fee and you're going to you're going to run this line for us and we're going to do everything else. It's part of your decision whether you're going to partner with an operator, whether or not their business can reflect back on your brand and the consumer experience positively. So let's say they don't have a mobile yeah. interface or – 
you know, they're, they're, they seem to be very disorganized or mm -hmm. whatever, but they still have like 18 buses. Yeah. And you're like, well, it seems like that would be a good partner because they have 18 buses, but at the same time, the consumers are not going to be experiencing what we want Flixbus to be thought of as. How do you look at that? So what's important to us with our partners is that they can provide our customers with a good customer experience so that the bus will show up on time, it will be clean, and the driver will treat the customers well. And so what... But what is not important to us is that our uh, our partners have technological capabilities because we take care of that. And we understand that often as charter operators, that's not been something that you focused on. And so we can, with everything that we have, do the planning and sell all the tickets and do all the marketing. And you don't need to do that. But what we care a lot about with our partners is that they're going to treat our customers well and can provide people with a good experience. So actually part of what you might be able to provide is for a bus operator who has been unable to advance themselves technologically or yes. with a mobile experience or handle those kinds of things, you, you may be the answer to their prayers. <laughs> Potentially. That's great. I mean, that's a great win-win proposition to have. Yeah, we, we see it as such. Um, and so that's why many of our partners are so excited to, to work with us. What do you have in place infrastructure-wise or process-wise to manage the behavior or customer friendliness of your drivers? Is there a training program? Is there a, um, a measurement system, a feedback system? Yes and yes. So we, we go out and train all of our drivers or all of our partners' drivers. But more importantly, we have a, a tool called the Mobility Partner Portal that both we have access to and all our partners have access to. And they can look at a ride level, at a driver level, each of the individual customer reviews. So you can say when Brad drove, the coach was rated a 4.5 out of 5 and the driver was rated a 3.5 out of 5. But when Michael and Susan and Sarah drove, they both had scores over four. And so as a bus owner, that is super useful to you because you can go and have a conversation with Brad and say, hey, we noticed your scores are lower. And in the comments section, uh, the, the customers commented that you yelled at them. That, that would be an extreme example. Uh, but we also have access to that. And then we will sort of work with our partners hand in hand. And so that, that tool and transparency has really been the, the best way for us to make sure that we provide continued quality. And what are some of the things that the industry should know about as it relates to just bus transportation and the opportunities that exist? I mean, you're on the front lines dealing with these partners day in and day out and mm -hmm. working with customers. I mean, obviously, you see an opportunity here in the space. Like, what, what should the industry and startups and decision makers really take away from this conversation um, and know more about or think more deeply about? I think for me, the the biggest thing is that the bus market in the U.S. can be so much bigger than it is. And I think that it's not necessarily the sexiest industry, but I think it's just there's such a huge opportunity there for, for growth, for innovation, for change. And so, and as I said, so much of our growth on the West Coast has been new customers. And so it's not looking at how do we fight with our competitors for, for the existing pie. It's really about changing that mindset to saying, who are all these people who aren't taking the bus right now? And how do we, how do we change their minds? Right. And, and just to build off of that, like, so you, you mentioned, you think it could be a lot bigger for yeah. market. Like, what are some of the tangibles or maybe like intangibles that a company like yourself is thinking about and innovating on on a regular basis to to make it so or to, to grab into that market share? In terms of how are we getting more people to ride Yeah, to, to, because you're, if you're 
I'm just I'm asking a question based on like your assumption that the market is is a lot bigger. So um, there's obviously a there there. I'm just wondering what is that and what you're seeing to maybe tell the the industry about. I actually wasn't aware that there was. So you have the bigger players. You got your bolt bust. You got your whatever the other ones are. Whatever. <laughs> yeah, I don't. Yeah, okay, uh, um, there's no mega boss. Mega boss. Peter Pan. You know, Greyhound, you have Greyhound and yeah. so on. The big buses. players. Yeah. Okay, and and those companies already have an infrastructure in place. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying that doesn't mean you can partner with them, but I'm saying that they're they're not going. Oh my God, we can't get it done. They they have their own way of doing it. I wasn't aware that there were these smaller bus companies that there's many of them you can partner and by taking the sum of those together exactly. you end up with this amazing bus network i just wasn't aware yeah. of that as a consumer yeah that it was even an option so how much do you have to maybe this is off what you were asking no, it was kind of what i was driving how I mean, how do you have a huge consumer education challenge here to even let people know that that this is something they can think about much less it should be you so there are two things you're getting at. One is the sort of giant size of the like charter bus industry or the like massive amount of small and medium sized companies that are running buses that don't come to mind when you think about bus travel. About this. Well, I'm purely unaware that they even exist much. Like until this conversation, I literally didn't even know they existed. I thought it was only the big boys because how else could anything else survive with the exception of individual charter companies? I yeah. know there are charter other smaller charter companies Mm -hmm. and that long tail i'm talking about is mostly charter companies there are hundreds and hundreds of charter companies that exist so what you're doing is you're you're looking at partnering with those charter companies and now does my question is Mm -hmm. are you going to be taking business away from the big boys with these charter companies or do you believe and is your experience in europe that by providing more opportunities, more people will take buses instead of other ways they travel. So I think we think the biggest growth is going to come from, as I said, growing the market and convincing people who would be driving right now, be flying, uh, maybe not traveling to to travel. Ultimately, we hope and expect to take market share from these bigger players. Um, that's what we've seen. But we see the bigger opportunity as, as growing the market. But to, to give you a sense of sort of uh, market share in European countries that we operate, we're in the like 60 to 90 percent market share. And so we've been quite successful in the intercity bus market in Europe. So are you kind of uh, piggybacking on this question? Mm-hmm. Cause I'm really curious about this as a consumer also, <laughs> yeah. but this plays into where your business partnerships can be mm-hmm. in terms of even um, the, the, the experience of being on the bus. Yeah. So forgive me cause I'm not trying to poke holes in, no, in no. the business that you're in. To me, I think the biggest friction for most consumers in taking a bus mm-hmm. is their belief of one of two things. Yeah. Either the bus experience is this sort of low-end consumer experience mm-hmm. or the characters with whom they will be on the bus with will be unsavory because it's the it's considered a a, a lower end travel option. Whether that's true or not, yeah. it's 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 you know if you can't afford a plane or a train, then you take a bus. Yeah. That's that's what I think a lot of people think. Yeah. And so, I would rather pay a little more and not have those risks. Even mm-hmm. though, in all honesty, 
the bus might get there faster than the train will. You'll save money. It's, I'll save money. It's it's probably just as comfortable, honestly. Um, there's probably more departure times. There's there's a lot of reasons why I know you would do it. Yeah. So how in educating the public, if at all, <laughs> is Flixbus thinking about ways that they can change that perception, re-educate and inspire the public and perhaps integrate things into the consumer experience to say, hey, you ain't getting this on a plane. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like um, augmented reality opportunities or uh, the types of entertainment that can happen on mm -hmm. a bus that you can't have on a plane or a train, yeah. let's say. And what you're getting at is very true and certainly a bigger challenge in, in the U.S. than in Europe where – uh, bus travel is more normal and acceptable. And so I think there are two pieces to it. The first is how do you get people to try riding a bus? And then the second piece is how do you provide them with a good enough experience that they're excited and come back? And so getting people to try riding a bus is, one, we are very aggressive about our advertising and marketing. We bid on over 9 million keywords uh, a day. And if you Google bus LA Vegas, it's going to be at the top. Uh, and so we're we're making sure that it is in your face. And then we care a lot about the way the buses look. And so something that we will not negotiate on is the bus needs to be wrapped and it needs to be relatively new and there needs to be enough leg room. Uh, and so people see buses drive by and it's going to be a bus that looks good. You know, I see ton, tens of many, many buses driving by as I walk around New York City every day. And a lot of them don't look that exciting. Um, and so having a bus that goes by that's like kind of shiny and new and looks different and getting bombarded with a lot of advertisements and then putting stations in a spot that feels safe and that feels accessible. Yeah. So one of the things you mentioned is safety and passenger safety and having ridden buses many times before, that also extends to I've been in some stations with, with other bus providers where I've felt like quite unsafe. And so how do we put stations in a spot where you walk by and you see people getting on and you say, oh, this is right by my office or this is right by my college campus and, and I feel comfortable doing that. And so it's all those little things and, and, and offering promotional pricing when we launch in markets to get people to try riding the bus. And then once we have people on the bus, yes, we, we trialed virtual reality uh, on our buses on the West Coast. We, you can stream movies and television shows uh, to your phone and any mobile device. Uh, the Wi-Fi works. The, the plugs work. It's a, it's a good, good experience. And so it's, it's those things together. But certainly there is a barrier to, to getting people to, to try. Does Flixbus have or are are you looking at a loyalty program that would extend across the tapestry of the different partners that you have? So we, we don't have a loyalty program right now, and we, we don't have any plans for that in the near future. That said, I think what we have noticed is, as sort of a benefit as a company is because we have so much recognition in Europe, you get a huge network effect where people take Flixbus in France and then they – they get to Italy and they they don't even think they just open the app. And so we're starting to see that more in in the US and as we sort of exponentially build up our network, we expect to see more and more of that. That's great. You brought a snack today. Yeah, we'll can see you tell how us this a goes. little Well, can you tell us a little bit about your snack that you yeah. brought and and the reason why you chose this snack for us? Yes. So I brought salmon maple jerky. Holy mackerel. <laughs> wow. Well, holy salmon, I guess. Not <laughs> so the, the reason I brought this is uh, this is 
that travel is obviously the topic. And I was traveling last week. I was skiing in Western Canada with my dad. Uh, and I'm also Canadian. And so as I was flying home on, on Saturday, I, I figured that the most appropriate travel and sort of me-related thing to bring would be salmon jerky. And then the oh. maple was just for the extra hit of Canada. So this could, this could go a lot of different extra directions. Canada, I love but, that and I'm, I'm really that's, sorry in advance if this that's is fantastic. terrible. That's great. Hey, I've seen some weirder jerky than that, let me tell you. Yeah. So. Okay. So. Down in, um, I believe it's um, oh, what the hell is it? Uh, Virginia Beach, maybe think there's a a a, a jerky store the entire store is jerky of all possible imaginable types okay um if you can think of an animal it's probably got like alligator jerky and like you know and every possible weird thing so have you eaten there um I did, but I got more conventional jerky. Uh, that was, was going to be my follow-up. So, I have had ostrich jerky, though, and it's actually pretty good. Have you had salmon jerky? I don't think I have. Okay. No. Me neither. I'm, I'm, we're about to, we're <laughs> about to try. So um, and thank you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, let's give it a try. And uh, coming up, uh, we're going to get some feedback on the salmon, maple salmon jerky. <laughs> and uh, we'll find a little bit more uh, about Joanna as a human and not a fish. Uh <laughs> That's up next. Hey there, are you having a bad Monday? Well, you shouldn't have a bad Monday because you just downloaded funny people talking on your phone, right? So just click the play button. Wait, Danielle, Danielle. What? What's funny people talking? Oh, it's this podcast with... I mean, you're one of the co-hosts, Mark. It's oh, yeah. you and me and, and Elsie, our producer. She's there. And we have really cool guests on, like illustrators and comedians and actors. You should listen. Do you listen to your own podcast? I hear it every time we record it. It's a really good show. You should listen to. Uh, do you listen, Elsie? No. Typical. She, I know. Typical producer. You know who listens? All of our fans who love the show. Listen to funny people talking. Mm. It comes out every Monday on Mouth Media Network and wherever the best podcasts are found. So we uh, we tried the maple (laughs) salmon jerky. I have to say, for me, my first bite, I was like. Well, it kind of tastes like regular jerky. It's not too bad. And then the fish, the fishy aftertaste yeah. kind of snuck in a little bit. And um, I don't know. I'm I'm gonna. It's so I'm bad. Gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm so gonna, sorry. I'm gonna be so so <laughs> grateful put some more and appreciative for the it. opportunity. <laughs> and for, thank you very much for bringing it. Um, you know, this, this I'm gonna chalk this up to. I'm glad I tried it. Yeah, <laughs> um, but I, I'm not sure it's something I'll invest in and again in the future. So I'll um, stick to buses. So what about, what did you think, Anthony? Um, similar reaction. Actually, I didn't commit as much as you No, did. I had a small piece. Yeah, I had a, oh, you did? A postage oh, okay. stamp. I, I had about a postage stamp. Yeah. It was, it, it, it's interesting. Look, I'm all for trying new things. What I really want to do is I want to take the rest of it. You can take it with you, by the way, but I'm saying, I don't mean <laughs> to it. take it from you, but, but, and put it out on the counter here and at Voyager like, HQ. And just see <laughs> if, 
and how many people decide that they're going to investigate and try it. So um, you should definitely put the box out then. Yeah. Buyer, yeah. buyer beware or, or not. Buyer I beware. Guess. I don't know. I, I'm taking this did not please you as much as you had hoped, Joanna. No, it was really bad and I really <laughs> want to like it. Well, we're grateful <laughs> for the experience. Thank you. Like a, like a bus, it can take you to places you never really know what's going to happen when you get there. But at least you're there. Yeah. Not See what boring. I did there? I brought That's a full circle. Yeah, that is I, great. I that. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Uh, this is time for Off the Beaten Path, where we get to know Joanne a little bit more as a human. Mm-hmm. Anthony, do you have a, a place you'd like to start? Throwing you so you the mentioned fire. It when we were, before we got started that you're new to New York City. So, you know, what are some of the things that you've experienced since you've become a new New Yorker? And uh, yeah, why don't we start there? Like, what, what do you love about living here? Being a Canadian. Well, I've lived in the States for a little while, but this is by far the the biggest city that I've ever lived in. I love – this is so cliched, so I hate to say it, but I love the energy. And everybody here is so excited about something, and it's usually something that I don't know anything about. Uh, but just being able to have those conversations and meet people with such different backgrounds is the coolest. Uh, I've gotten into theater in a way that I – Never thought I would. Like participating or watching? Um, unfortunately, just watching. <laughs> uh, so, Favorite Broadway show? Oh, I, I won the Hamilton lottery. Oh, uh, that's pretty good. Come on. So I know. <laughs> have you seen King Kong yet? I have not seen King Kong. Highly recommend the experience. Okay. I'm not saying it's like this great musical. Yeah. I don't know you'll hum any of the songs on the way out, but the spectacle of being in that audience with King Kong there, it is a remarkable thing. You re- I recommend it. <laughs> so what turned you on to the, the theater? Do you have a theatrical background at all, like in college, high school? Um, not – my mom was a music teacher and so she okay. used to bring us to, to musicals once a year. But I think just sort of came and wanted to do all the New York things and realized how accessible it was to buy, you know, a ticket the day before on, on StubHub and – it's it's been pretty cool. The, my other favorite thing is rewatching movies that are take place in New York. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now that you live here, it's a totally different experience. And so, watching and like also, places and scenes. It's also just like a great place to source like things to do and places to eat. Yeah. Like where did that happen? Right. Yeah. Cool. All right, Joanna. If this is going to be like totally out of the blue, okay. Non sequitur. Okay. If you were to star in a movie okay, i realize that you may not be an actor but if you were to star in a movie yeah what kind of movie would it need to be okay who would you want to co-star with okay and what kind of a part would you want to play wow um so you get to make your own movie now here yeah so the first two things that I'm optimizing for, like a really fun location, like the mountains of Nepal. For me, that's a fun location. Okay. I want to go to the wilderness and I want to wear a, a costume that is nonsensical. And so it needs to be some sort of, I guess, like sci-fi right. or futuristic or. So you somehow got a. Yeah, I'm in a sci-fi movie in Nepal. So I don't know if this premise <laughs> is going to get picked up, but that's, that's where we're starting. I definitely don't want a starring role. I want one that a person who's in a lot of scenes, so they have to keep me around for a long time, and they have to bring like me to a lot of places. <laughs> but I have very few lines, yeah, um, and just sort of hang out in different costumes in the background. 
Uh, and then who would I want to star in a movie with? Anna Kendrick seems really fun to hang out I with. Bet, that'd be so fun. if Anna Kendrick could also be in the movie, it would be gotcha. great. Do you want to see this movie? I do want to see it. I really <laughs> want to see it because Anna Kendrick and, and Joanna uh, in the wilderness in Nepal <laughs> as a, some sort of sci-fi thing where, where you know Joanna has to rely on her, her nonverbal acting skills. I think that that's pretty yeah, fun. Yeah, I don't think I have a future in acting. <laughs> Uh, Joanna, reflecting back on our conversation mm-hmm. and getting serious again, yeah. Uh, if you were to share a sort of final thought or reflection with those who are listening, it could reflect on this conversation or the opportunity at hand that's out there in travel. Yeah. What might you like to leave behind? Like for me, it's that there is, uh, especially in the U.S., still a lot of educating and a lot of excitement to be generated, I think, with both folks in the industry and with customers over what we can do with bus travel and then hopefully for you all uh, looking and thinking about buses and and noticing all the buses on the streets of New York in a bit of a different way. All right. Hashtag notice the buses. Notice the buses. (laughs) (laughs) And how can people connect with Flixbus and and perhaps uh, with you since you're in business development, Mm -hmm. uh, connect with you? Yeah, the easiest way to connect with me is either through my email or through my LinkedIn profile. Okay. And do you want to share your email sure, publicly? It, yeah, yeah, that's quite all right. It's joanna.patterson at flixbus.com. Awesome. And obviously flixbus.com <laughs> is how you get there. Yes. Uh, Joanna Patterson, uh, the head of business development for at least the East Coast uh, in the U.S., uh, congratulations on your fairly new position over yeah. the last few months and uh, best of luck to you in growing awareness in the U.S. for what a company like Flixbus can mean for mobility and opportunity. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks. for hanging out with me yeah. and trying some bad jerky today. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for bringing it. It was a cool experience. Um, and uh, thank you very much, Anthony, for uh, joining us on the show as a guest host. Uh, great to have Thanks your again. contribution. Awesome. Great to see you again. And thank you all for listening. You know how much we really appreciate you being with us each week. And we'll be back next week with another uh, great guest, a great journey, and a great story uh, about the travel industry and the opportunity within. Until then, I'm Mark Rako. Have a wonderful day. This has been Travel Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for the show, or to become a sponsor, email us at podcast at travelisyourbusiness.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Travel Biz Show. That's Travel B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, travelisyourbusiness.com. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.